Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Well, today we are continuing our Genesis series. We're at the Genesis chapter 9, and Pastor Dave will be preaching this morning on this passage. Uh, next week is our last week in this series. We're just doing Genesis 1 to 11, and then we're going to be going on to the letter of 1 Peter. So if you want to read ahead, um, you can start looking at that and preparing your hearts for that series as well. Uh, but don't check out of this one yet. We've got two good weeks left to go today and next week. So today we are reading Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 through to Genesis chapter 9, verse 29. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. If you don't, you can probably follow along on the screen. So starting at Genesis chapter 8, verse 15. And we're doing our third week on Noah. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds. Everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I'll demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I'll demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man will his blood be shed. For he is in the image of God and God has made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring the clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant I have established between me and all the life on the earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. Thank you, Luke. Good morning, everyone. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, uh, a very successful businessman, uh, a lawyer, who'd um, done really well for himself. Um, well known, made a lot of money, had all the trappings of, of life, beautiful uh, house to live in, a uh, beautiful car, uh, we even had a chauffeur to drive him around. And uh, one particular day, this um, businessman was being driven along in his limousine by his chauffeur, and he saw two men by the side of the road eating grass. And he said to his driver, stop, stop the car. And he, he hopped out of the car and he walked over to these two guys. And he said to the first one, he said, mate, what's the story? And the guy said, well, times are pretty tough. I'm, I'm out of work, you know, down on my luck. I'm struggling to make ends meet. So I need to eat glass just to, just to survive. And this businessman said, mate, mate, we can do better than that. Come around to my place. We'll give, I'll give you a much better feed. And the guy said, well, thank you, but I've also got a wife and, and two kids just over there. And the, the lawyer said, we got plenty. Tell them all to hop in the car. Well, that's great. So they all piled in. The businessman turned to the second man. He said, what about you? What, what's your story? And the guy said, well, you know, same thing. I'm out of work. Times are, are really, really tough. Um, and, yeah, just got to eat grass or I die. And the businessman said, mate, come around to my house. I'll give you a much better feed. Well, thank you, he said, but I've got a wife and four kids just up at the corner. And the lawyer said, that's okay, we've got plenty, tell them to pile in. So both families squeezed in the back of the limo. And uh, the, the lawyer hopped in the front seat, he said to his chauffeur, he said, take us home. Now, you can imagine these kids in the back seat, like they've never been in a limo, they thought it was Christmas, they're you know, just so excited, thinking, this is, how good is this? And one of the dads just said again, he said, look, mate, we, I just can't tell you how much we appreciate this. This is, you know, we really do, this is very... Very um, generous of you. We can't thank you enough. And the businessman said, look, mate, really, it's not a problem. Trust me, the grass at my place is about this high. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so no one is perfect. (laughs) And as we saw in this story today, even Noah, um, this righteous man in his generation, he wasn't perfect either. So as Luke mentioned, we've been working through the book of Genesis and uh, this is the third week of the story of Noah. Noah part three and the subtitle is God's Promises. That's what we'll be looking at today. But as we read through Genesis and the story of Noah, it's important to remember that God is also a central character. We might be thinking about Noah, but what we can learn from God and what we can learn about God is also very important as we go along. And we see in the story of Noah, we see God's, God's mercy, but also God's judgment. God had got to the point where 
the whole earth had become so sinful, so wicked, so rebellious that God had decided he was just going to destroy it all. But he also had his mercy because he found Noah, one good, one righteous man. And he, so he made this elaborate plan with the ark and everything for Noah and his family to be preserved, to be saved, and all of the different species of animals. So we see God's love and God's, um, God's judgment all at once. See, when people, when we think about God, we tend to think about God's love, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness, because we benefit from that and we appreciate that very much. And all of our songs, you know, Amazing Grace, there's a song that called, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. And if you go to Pentecostal churches, sometimes they do. And, um, <laughs> but but we, we, we focus on the love of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the angels actually think about a different part of God's character. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of the, the throne room of heaven and everything is just awesome beyond description. And there are these angels just circling the throne of God constantly and their song is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, over and over again. See, the angels are in awe of the holiness of God. And we have this these dual sides of God and because God is so holy and so righteous he cannot tolerate sin indefinitely and that's why we have judgment because God is holy God is just and there is always going to be judgment and consequences if you're familiar with the the book of first and second kings in the bible you'll know that um, it says you know so and so became king and he did evil in the eyes of the lord and then and the prophets come and they try to warn them and another king comes up. And occasionally you have one who did, did good things in the eyes of God, but nearly all of the kings, they, they did evil in the eyes of God. And they, they lead their people astray. And the prophets come and they try to warn them and no one listens. And king after king, year after year, generation after generation, it goes on and on and on until finally God says, enough. So God is quick God is, God is slow to anger, anger and quick to forgive. He's, the Bible says he is full of mercy and steadfast love. But because he is holy, he cannot tolerate sin indefinitely. And eventually, in the book of Kings for the Israelites, the judgment came and their land was invaded and they were all captured and taken away into exile. But God is, is quick to forgive. And there's another story in Genesis about two towns called Sodom and Gomorrah. And obviously their sin had got so bad, got to the point where God could not tolerate it any longer. And God said to Abraham, he said, I'm going to just wipe these towns off the face of the earth. I'm going to rain down fire from heaven and just destroy them. And now Abraham, whose nephew Lot, lived down in that region. He sort of was a bit worried. He said, but God, what if there was, you know, even 50 righteous people? Would you preserve the whole, the whole towns for the sake of 50 righteous people? And God said, yes, yes, I would. And Abraham said, well, what if there was 45? Would you, would you save them all for the sake of 45 righteous people? And God said, yes, yes, I would. And Abraham said, what about if there was 40 or 30 or 20? Or what if there was just 10 righteous people? Would you have mercy on both towns for the sake of 10 righteous people? And God said, yes, yes, I would. So God is quick to forgive. But as it turns out, they couldn't even find 10 righteous people between these two whole towns. So God's judgment came and wiped out those towns completely. See, God is not given to sudden fits of anger and rage. God will always provide a warning and he will take time and but eventually, because God is holy, eventually judgment will come. 
And that's what we see now in the story of Noah. The people, we, we sort of read through when we think creation, the fall, flood, you know, it all seems like it happens pretty quick. But this was over hundreds of years where people have just rebelled, they've turned against God, they've done their own thing, and God's anger has built up to the point where judgment has to come. And now, at the end of the story of Noah, after the flood, the rain, the water has receded, it's time to get off the ark. We've got a whole new start. We've refreshed, we've reset, everything can start over anew. When I was a teenager, which was back in the uh, 1980s, I have to specify the 1980s because otherwise my son James will assume I'm talking about the 1380s. So I'm I'm not quite that old. But um, I know it's hard to believe for a teenager, but there came a point where my bedroom was just a disaster. Like it was just so messy. Like I had this bookshelf and there were books all over the place and books on the floor and I had footballs and tennis balls and cricket balls and sporting stuff just all over and the place was just a disaster. It was a complete mess. I know no other teenagers would ever be like that, I'm sure. But, um, or my kids are, but... Um, anyway, one Christmas, one year just after Christmas, I went away on, on beach mission for about 10 days and had a great time, and I came back. And while I had been gone, my mum gave me one of the best presents ever because my room was tidy. It was spotless. All of the sporting equipment was sorted out and in the wardrobe, you know, in, its, in groups and the clothes were all hanging neatly and the bookshelf was all perfect and a whole shelf of all my Christian novels and all my sporting biographies and all my Beagles books and all my old school textbooks and everything was ordered and neat and structured and it was a nice, fresh start. Sad to say it didn't last forever, but, but it was great while it was there. And that's exactly the situation we have now. So we get to Genesis 8 and 9, a whole fresh start to start over. But sadly, it doesn't last all that long. Humanity has messed up, but God has given a second chance. And that same principle applies in our lives. The slate can be wiped clean and we can start over. So we get to verse 1 of chapter 9 where God says to Noah, he says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now this is word for word exactly what God had said to Adam back in chapter 1. So God's plan for humanity has not changed. He says again, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. There is a little bit of a change now because in chapter 1, God said to Adam, you can eat of any of the plants in the garden. And now God says to Noah, you can even eat of any of the animals, any of the living creatures. And uh, God specifies the fact that humanity, that human beings are made in the image of God. So God cared enough about the animals to make sure that they were on the ark and he preserved every different species. But human beings are even more significant in God's, in God's plan. So when God says you can eat uh, of the animals, I know some of us uh, are most appreciative because you know most, some of us love our roast lamb and a, a good steak. I know I'm one of those people. Uh, there are some denominations who will teach that we, we shouldn't eat meat. We should, you know, get back to as close as possibly we can to what life was like in the Garden of Eden. But I think if you read the Bible in its entirety, it's pretty sure, it's pretty clear that God says it's okay for us to eat meat. You also notice at the end of chapter 8 that when they came off the ark, one of the first things Noah did was, was kill some of the animals for a sacrifice. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but these animals have been sitting in the ark for month after month with the humans, and the finally they get off and they're thinking, oh, thank goodness. And then Noah comes over and then, oops. 
And, and, and God was fine with that. See, because God says a human life is precious. Every single human life is precious. And the animals are not to be abused or exploited, but they, they are not to be elevated at the expense of human life. And so we human beings are created in the image of God. And God makes it clear that every human life is valuable and precious and, and worthwhile. This includes the old and the sick. This includes the homeless and the refugees. This includes the unborn children. Every human life has special significant value in God's eyes because we are created in the image of God. So the book of Genesis shows us God's created order. This is one of the reasons why Luke and I have enjoyed this series so much because it just shows us how God planned things to be right in the beginning. And sadly, we see some of this is under attack. We see that God, Luke explained a few weeks ago, the whole principle of work and rest, that God worked to create and then he rested. And it's the same principle should apply to us, but nowadays sometimes it's just work, work, work. We see that God created them male and female. He created them two distinct genders. But nowadays we see that under attack. We read in Genesis that God said a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife and those two will become one flesh. They will start a whole new family unit, a man and a wife. And we see that is under attack. We see God talk about the sanctity of human life. But sometimes that is under attack. And we see God give mankind dominion over the animals. And sometimes we even see that is under attack. And sometimes our response when we see God's order and God's plan and God's creation being twisted and corrupted and perverted and you know changed around, our response might be to, to get angry and jump up and down and criticise and condemn those people who are trying to change it. And... I think our intentions might be good, but in actual fact, I think that would be, be futile and would, would be the wrong response. I think our focus needs to be simply on doing what God called us to do and being the people that God calls us to be. Obviously, if you're familiar with the, you know, the life and the teachings of Jesus, you'll know that when Jesus was asked, what's the, most, what's the greatest commandment? What is the most important thing for mankind to do? And Jesus said, to love God and to love other people. The last words Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended back to heaven. He said, go and make disciples and teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think if we focus on doing those things, then all the other issues will sort itself out. If we want our society and our culture to reflect God's created order, and we need to lead by example. And that's why I love the vision and the mission of this church. It might just seem simple, but it is so profound and so, so meaningful and so effective. Our vision is Jesus. And our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. And if we all do that, then all these other issues start to sort themselves out. Then we get to verse 8 in chapter 9. God's covenant. Now, a covenant is a, a beautiful word. This is not just a, a, you know, a statement. This is a, a covenant, a holy, definite thing that God has said. It's an unconditional promise. Now, God makes lots of promises through the Bible. Some of them have conditions attached. Some of them are unconditional. There's one, one of God's promises that I love is in Second Chronicles 7.14. 
It has conditions attached, but it's worth mentioning today because it still would be very, very valuable for our land today and for the world. God said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now, if you look around at Australia today and you think, man, we could do with some healing, and if you look at other countries and you think, we really need to be healed, well, here's the recipe, here's the formula, here's the steps to achieve that. But there are conditions attached. And clearly, when we don't call on God's name and we don't humble ourselves and we don't repent, well, then we find ourselves in a, a society that gets more and more and more messed up. But this covenant with Noah was unconditional. It's not, this is not like a... A politician's, you know, promise that I say one thing before the election and then another thing after the election. This is this is the word of God. This is, we can have absolute confidence. We can trust in. We can rely on. We can depend on God's covenant. And He says, "Never again will I destroy the earth with a, with a flood." Now, if you read this in conjunction with Job chapter thirty-eight, Job has this awesome conversation with God, and, and God's asking him all those questions and explaining how He created the world and put it all together and, and God says to Job I have drawn a line for the oceans I've said you can come this far and no further so we can have complete confidence that God has the waters and the oceans under control there are some people today who will tell us that you know they're worried about the effect of humanity on the planet and the pollution and they think the oceans are going to rise by six meters or ten meters or you know however much it is this week and um and therefore that you know heap Heaps of land will be flooded and people will drown and it's going to be a disaster. Uh, interestingly, some of the same people who say that continue to fly around in their jets pumping out the pollution that causes the problem that they think we're going to destroy everything. And some of those people live in these beautiful mansions on the beachfront where if their prophecies come true, their houses are going to be destroyed. And Anyway, um, plenty of people say Christians are hypocrites, but we're not the only ones. So um, not that that makes it okay to be a hypocrite, by the way. <laughs> But I think people tend to overestimate the, the ability of human beings to change the planet. And God made this world and God says, I've got the waters, the oceans under control. And personally, I have a lot more faith in God's promises than in people's predictions. So God has made a promise and he even made a visual reminder, a symbol for us to remember his promise. In verse 12, it says, God, God says, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant. And this was the rainbow. Now, rainbows are beautiful things to look at. Uh, just this week in the church office, I was talking to Luke, and I, I said, asked Luke, what, what words do you associate with rainbows? And Luke said, they're pretty. And I'll, well, Luke's more of an expert on pretty than I am. Um, I'll, 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 I'll take his word for that one. But... Um, but, but rainbows are not only beautiful to look at visually, but they're also beautiful because of their significance, because of what they remind us of, God's promise. Rainbows are a symbol of hope, a reminder that God can and does and will intervene in this life, in this world and in our lives. A reminder that after the rain comes the sunshine. After the flood comes peace. A reminder that God is a God of second chances. And rainbows also remind us of the order of creation. You know, the colours all on the rainbow all always appear in the same order. And they remind us that creation is just some fluke circumstance that just happens to, you know, by chance. That 
God created everything just right. And the more you learn about creation, the more you examine it, the more in awe we are of just the absolute perfection of God's design and God's created order. Luke mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, you know, the distance from the earth to the sun, and if we were any closer, we'd all fly to death. If we were any further away, we'd all freeze to death. And the amount of oxygen in our atmosphere is just right. You know, too little, no life on earth. Too much, no life on earth. And the the earth is tilted on its axis. And if we're tilted any more, no life on earth. Any less, no life on earth. It is truly remarkable how much God has planned and designed and carefully created this whole planet that we live on. So God is still in control and God has given us a promise. Sometimes in the midst of the flood, in the midst of hard times and difficulties, it's easy to to lose hope, to lose heart, and we might just want to give up and lose our faith. In 1 Corinthians, God reminds us, he promised that he will never let things get too much for us to bear. He will always provide a means of escape, a way for us to endure, a way for us to resist the temptation. We do need to depend on him, but with his help, we can... We can uh, cope with anything. <clears throat> Nowadays, rainbows being a beautiful symbol, sometimes they're used by, by other groups to promote other causes. And it's really nice that they're appreciating the beauty of God's creation. But for us, we can remember the, the original meaning of the rainbow, the true significance attached to it, the fact that God has made a promise to all of humanity. In verse 19... It says that everyone on earth is descended from Noah and his three sons. Now, I've heard people say that, you know, follow church feels like one big happy family. Well, there you go, it is. We're all related. (laughs) Very, very, very distantly, but we are all related from Noah and his three sons. But then we get to verse 21. And the whole fresh start, everything starts to unravel when Noah gets drunk. Now, the Bible has quite a lot to say about drunkenness, and um, not in a good way. There's a lot of verses. I'll just skim through just some of the verses I was looking up this week. Ephesians 5, 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Leviticus 10, do not drink strong wine. Hosea 4, wine takes away understanding. Galatians 5, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Proverbs 23 warns that drunkards will come to poverty. Habakkuk 2 even says, Woe to him that makes his neighbour drink. So to summarise, drunkenness is not a good idea and even causing your your friend or your neighbour to get drunk is also not recommended. But Noah was not perfect. This man, he'd survived the flood, he'd obeyed God, he was described as righteous in his generation, had faith in God when nobody else did, and yet he was not perfect. And that's okay. None of us are perfect. Not one of us. But Romans 3 tells us that all of us, every human being, we've all sinned. We've all done the wrong thing. We've all fallen short of God's standard, God's holiness, God's perfection. But it also tells us that Jesus died to take away the punishment for our sin, for our wrong thing. With God, because God is holy and righteous, there is always judgment but because God is merciful, there is always an opportunity to be forgiven, an opportunity for us to change. It's interesting to observe that when life was really hard for Noah, he was faithful. When he was the only righteous man in his whole generation, he was faithful to God. 
when God called him to do something this extraordinary, to build this ark that took 50 to 100 years and must have had all these questions and all these people rolling their eyes about him. But he was faithful to God through all of that. When he was on the ark and there's this water all around and, you know, from a human perspective, all hope is gone because there's nothing else left except what's here in the ark. And through all that, Noah kept his faith in God. And now that the rain has stopped and the water has receded and they're back on dry ground and life is easier, now Noah goes and does something stupid. So I think the lesson for all of us is that we need to keep keep our focus on God always in all, all circumstances of life, good, bad or indifferent. Sometimes, you know, when times are tough, we're like we're focused on God because we need God's help and we're, we're, we're clinging to him. And then things get easier and we go, it's all cool, I can handle this myself. That's when you're going to make a mistake. So learn from Noah to keep our eyes on, on Jesus for good, bad or indifferent. First Peter 5 warns us to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. It's a great promise for all ways. As Luke mentioned, we'll be studying First Peter soon, so we'll come back to that one again. Now, the last part of this passage is a little bit strange. Ham sees his father Noah naked in the tent. He's lying there drunk, and Ham goes in and sees him. Now, the response is significant because Ham dishonours his dad, first of all by, by looking, but then by rather than being discreet and sort of zipping the tent closed or covering him up. But now Ham goes out and says, Hey, fellas, come and check this out. He wants to humiliate his father even more. See, honouring your parents is another biblical concept, another part of God's created order. You know, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments and the Fifth Commandment is honour your father and mother. And this is doubly significant because the first four are all about our attitude to God and then the Sabbath day. So the, the last six are about how we treat each other and the first of those is honour your father and your mother. And yet Ham dishonoured his father by the way he responded. And it's interesting that Ham sinned, but his son Canaan was cursed. Now, why is that? Now, I can't give you a definitive answer because the Bible doesn't make it clear. Let me just simply give you a couple of observations. First of all, it was Noah that cursed Canaan, not God. This is Noah who's just woken up with a hangover and realised that whatever has happened. So Noah was the one who cursed Canaan. Maybe Noah being so disappointed in his own son, in Ham, wanted to Ham to then be disappointed in his son, Canaan, to maybe teach him a lesson. Maybe. Or maybe Noah saw this character flaw in Ham, in the way Ham had responded. And he, maybe Noah had already observed that same behaviour, that same flaw in Canaan. And he wanted this to be a warning to Canaan and to future generations not to allow this attitude, this rebellion, this ungodliness this disrespect to grow and fester and become bigger. Maybe. And the lesson for us would be to always be conscious of how our behaviour influences other people. Obviously, if you're a parent, we're always conscious that our children are looking at us and sometimes we see our behaviour modelled in our kids and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's actually not. But all of us, other people look at the way we live our lives. We influence other people. We influence each other. That's why we need to be careful who you hang around with, who you're, you know, whose behaviour is affecting you. 
but also how our behaviour affects other people. We need to ask ourselves, do our words, our actions, our behaviour, are we leading other people closer to Jesus or are we pushing people further away? So what can we learn from today's passage? To quote the VeggieTales, it's time to learn about what we learned. It's time to talk about what we learned today. And what we learn is that God is still in control. That this is God's world, God's planet, God has a plan. Human beings are free to mess it up if we want to, or we're free to, to follow God and do things his way. Ultimately, God has promised that he will never again flood the whole earth. Now the Bible does tell us quite clearly there is another judgment coming and the next judgment will be final, will be eternal. A judgment of fire where, yeah. But again, every single human being has a choice. We have a free will. We get to choose God's judgment or God's mercy. They're both there, freely available and ultimately all of us, we either will accept God's mercy or will be subject to God's judgment. And we can also learn from Noah. We can learn and imitate his actions before and during the flood, his faith in God, his obedience, his perseverance. And we can learn from Noah's mistakes after the flood and make sure that all of our words and all of our actions are always honouring to God. And what can we do in response to this passage? As we see our world drifting slowly further and further and further away from God's teachings, from God's principles, from God's created order, we need to, as individuals, to remember what Jesus taught us to do, to focus on what's important, to pray your kingdom come, to love God, to love others, and to go and make disciples. I think that's the response for us as individuals. And we as a church collectively I think we just keep our eyes on that simple and yet profound mission statement to follow Jesus in our community for his glory.